Hey everyone, on Wednesday, April 13th, we are going live with our Kickstarter, Emery's Log of Legendary Eminences. This project will be an improvement on Legendary Resistances, which we feel can be a little bit of an unfun mechanic. Along with the Kickstarter, we're doing a giveaway for a gemstone dice set. To find out more about these, look at our socials or take a look at our announcement. And now for your regularly scheduled episode. Welcome to Running Off the Rails. My name is Ariel Rasco. And my name is Raymond O'Connor. In this episode, we're going to talk about objective-based combat and changing the objectives during combat to make each round feel different and engaging to your players. It's common wisdom to not just put your players against an enemy and make it a contest of who can bring the other party to zero hit points first. Because it's not all that exciting, in almost all cases, the players are going to win and the monsters are going to die. So by including objectives into our combat, we give the players decisions and choices that they need to make. But today we're going to take it one step further. We're going to talk about how important it is or how useful it can be to change the objectives, at least on a small scale, on a round-by-round basis. This will keep your players on your toes and help to make fun and compelling combat encounters. I think Ray and I have both had the experience where we've looked at our players and they haven't felt super engaged. Maybe they're doing the same thing every turn, they're not moving around so much, and you can see that in between the turns they're checking out a little bit. This can happen to even the most experienced and knowledgeable DMs. But if you change the conditions mid-combat, everyone's going to be engaged in other people's turns. They're going to see what's happening during the combat and they're going to need to think about it because what they're going to do on their next turn is different than what they did on the previous turn. I think that's a really good call out, Ariel. If you're a dungeon master and you're wondering whether or not this is something you need to bring to your table at all, one temperature check that you can use is on a round-by-round basis, have your players moved? Are they using just their strongest attack again? Can they run this encounter on autopilot? You have to realize that players are sometimes waiting anywhere between 20 minutes to 30 minutes for their turn to come back up in combat. If they are just doing the same thing that they did last round, that means that for the last hour, they haven't had to really make any decisions about how they're contributing to this game of Dungeons & Dragons. And that is very antithetical to what Dungeons and Dragons is supposed to be about, which is collaborative storytelling. I think this temperature check you're talking about is super helpful because even really good DMs can come up with an encounter that has a great objective, for instance. Let's say you're playing through a heist and you have a very clear objective that you need to go stealthily through a place, steal an object, and leave with it. In this case, I think it's very clear what all the players need to do. But if they get into a combat you still have this possibility that even though they had a clear objective and they're trying to get away, every turn could feel the same for a fighter. They could just swing their sword, rinse, repeat. And that's what we're trying to get away from. So even if you have good design mechanics in general, this idea that your fighters are just going to swing their sword every turn can still be a problem. Perhaps it would be helpful if we were to ground what we're talking about in an example. 
One of the examples that I gave to Ray when we were talking about this is a little goblin fortress. It's from a supplement called Prepared, and the fortress itself has hit points and attacks because the goblins are shooting from different vantage points, and the fortress actually has a movement too. It's on wheels. It's kind of like a little fantasy tank. And in this regard, you have multiple rounds of combat that are going to change as you go through it. First, you need to destroy the tank. Then the second objective is going in and defeating the goblins. They have a very important item that you need. You have two combats built into one. That's an amazing, straightforward, and simple example. If you listened to our last episode about enemy roles, I love this idea of changing the role of the enemies that you're fighting halfway through the combat. As soon as you defeat the goblin tank, or maybe even as you're defeating the goblet tank, maybe it's leaking goblins <laughs> that are joining the fray at inopportune times for your player characters. This is a great example of a non-complicated way to add changing objectives to your encounter design. You didn't need to introduce new information to the players from the beginning of the encounter, but their objectives are changing round by round as they make progress through the encounter. There's another way that you can inject changing objectives into your game, and that's by introducing new information that the players have to deal with or changing things on the fly. I think this is the best version of this style of encounter design, where something happens either based on the enemy's desires, so you show that your villain is thinking and changing their plans on the fly, or something that your players do, so you can show that your players' actions have consequences. We've talked about both those things so many times. For example, if your enemy takes a hostage in the middle of combat, suddenly you have a really interesting change in your combat. If your villain uses their smarts and finds a hostage that they can take in the middle of a combat, suddenly everybody at the table has to stop what they're doing, stop twiddling their thumbs or doodling or checking their phone, and think about what they're going to do next on their turn, because it's definitely different than what they did on the previous turn. Your enemy can also use player characters as hostages. Sometimes dungeon masters can fall into a rhythm of dropping player characters to zero and then moving on to attacking the other player characters. A wizard is a pretty good example of a monster that has a high enough intelligence to know that the player character who's at zero hit points probably isn't going to attack them next round. A dungeon master will often leave that player character alone, but if our wizard is actually as intelligent as we think they are, they might take that downed 0 HP player character hostage and hold a dagger to their throat. They might tell the player characters, surrender your weapons to me, otherwise I'm going to kill your companion. Now, all of a sudden, the objective of the combat has changed dramatically. We go from a situation where the player characters are trying to deal as much damage as possible to a situation where they're afraid to attack at all. This is a huge change in tone, a huge change in objective, and your players are probably going to have to take advantage of maybe battle master maneuvers or control spells that they don't typically turn to if your combats usually orient around bringing the enemy monsters to zero. I love this example because it's really doing both of those things that I want. It's showing that your villain is intelligent and it's putting the choice in front of your players. The onus is on your players to choose what to do. 
their actions are going to have consequences, but the ball is definitely still in their court. A last example that we wanted to highlight is for dungeon masters to team up their player characters with NPCs whose goals are mostly aligned with the player characters. Imagine that the player characters need to cure a disease that is ravaging the land. The disease was invented by this necromancer. Perhaps there is an NPC whose family was murdered by this necromancer, and they're purely out for revenge. The player characters know that to get through this necromancer stronghold, they need all the help they can get. They team up with this NPC, but then at the moment of truth, the NPC's ambitions and goals start to really matter. It's really important here that the players have known all along that this NPC wants to kill the enemy, because otherwise, if you don't foreshadow that, that can be a really feel-bad moment at the table. Trust me, it's still going to be very interesting for your players to have to worry about the known motivations of this NPC who wants to kill the enemy. Now all of a sudden, once the enemy spellcaster is down to maybe a third of their health or a half of their health, the objectives of the combat change. All of a sudden, maybe half of your party needs to divert some of their resources to making sure that this NPC isn't anywhere near the enemy spellcaster when you drop them to zero. I think this idea of having a third party involved in the combat is just really great design in general and fits in with these changing objectives really well. In Ray's case, it's an NPC who has different objectives than you. But I can think of lots of other examples where there's just an unaligned third party. Maybe the villain is containing some strange beast, and suddenly you have to think about, if we destroy this villain, are we going to let something worse out into the world? And this can be something that you will learn about as you go through the enemy's lair. In the first scene, you're in an opening room, and you eventually get to a laboratory where you find this out that if you kill this enemy, there's going to be greater consequences. We need a different strategy than just killing them. And using non-lethal damage is a little bit scary. I think most spells don't allow you to use non-lethal damage. So suddenly you're thinking about melee attacks maybe when you originally were using spells. And this is another kind of objective change. Lethal damage to non-lethal damage. We've been talking a lot about how to add changing dynamic objectives on a round-by-round -round basis to your combats in a static setting. But one of the easiest tools that you can reach for to change the objectives of your combat and force your players to make decisions about where their characters need to move to is to stage a combat encounter in a dynamic terrain or a setting that is changing in ways that affect the details of the combat. I think one of the coolest ways to do this that I haven't seen a lot of DMs do is instead of having your terrain be some weird moving feature, which we'll definitely talk about, is maybe the other option is to have your enemy move. If your enemy is moving from one location to another, the terrain is going to naturally change. You don't need some special magic terrain. You can just have your enemy move through different locations. And I think this presents a million incredible opportunities if you just start thinking about where your enemy might move through. I think that 
many of us are trained from a history of video game design and just a lot of fiction and literature that when we are going to enter a dungeon, there will be a boss room. We will not encounter the boss until we get to the last room of the dungeon or the setting we're about to explore. I am in love with this idea that the players maybe spend a travel montage getting to this remote wizard tower. They're walking up towards this wizard tower and they see that it's 10 stories tall. The players brace themselves for a 10-floor mega dungeon where the necromancer is waiting at the top of the tower and has been watching them and their crystal ball scrying on them through their entire slog through this wizard tower, studying them, learning their weaknesses, draining their resources. The players kick in the front door and there's the necromancer on the first floor, surprised that the players are there. And now the players need to chase this necromancer through their wizard tower, their home turf, to try and prevent the necromancer from getting to their teleportation circle on the 10th floor and getting away. This is such a cool setup. We're starting with kind of subverting expectations, which I think is a lot of fun as a DM, but you're really getting into this idea that the tower is going to be explored at a breakneck pace. If you think about a round of combat as six seconds, and you're maybe you're moving through each floor in one or two rounds of combat, you're only getting 6 or 12 seconds to explore each floor of a dungeon. I mean, really, imagine a dungeon crawl that takes place all within the span of two minutes. I think that is so freaking cool. Most dungeon crawls are slow, and in each room you fight a different combat, and spend a lot of time using investigation checks and perception checks, and you're looking for traps. In this case, you're going through a dungeon while in combat. I love this idea so much, and I think this idea of the dungeon being a chase is really, really good for objectives changing too. You can have a situation where in each room of the dungeon, there's a different objective for that round. You can come up with room types that allow this. You know, maybe one room is very, very narrow, and you have a little bit of like a pinch and squeeze effect such that your battle tactics are going to change. And maybe another room has a different feature that is a bridge or it has a very high ceiling and the necromancer can start flying and that changes your objectives again into how you're going to approach this combat. Each round is going to be a different objective based on the material effects of the room. This also gives the dungeon master a very convenient way of controlling pacing. Pacing is so important in combat, so important that we'll probably dedicate an entire episode to pacing just by itself someday in the future. But if you can sense that the players are starting to maybe get a little bit bored, or they it seems like maybe they've figured out this room to the point where uh, they aren't making decisions or kind of deliberating over what the right thing to do is, you can easily have the necromancer just flee to the next room. And then boom, you have a new setting, the objective has changed, and you've injected another adrenaline shot into your combat. On top of that, you can control the minions or the add-ons that the players are encountering as they run into new rooms. If you feel like the combat is dragging on and you had planned for there to be three apprentices in the third level of the wizard tower, just drop that down to one apprentice. Uh, it also makes it such that you don't have to start the combat 
with one ultra long round because all of the allies are up and all of the enemies are present and acting in that first round of combat. It allows you to keep the rounds of combat more uniform in time. That makes a lot of sense to me. I've definitely been in big boss battles where the boss has like 15 or 20 minions and the first round just takes forever. But in this case, each room is adding more monsters and so the first round itself doesn't have to take so long. I think this is so cool. And in each room, there can be a different challenge. Like the challenges don't have to be more minions in the next room. They can also be there's a magic item having some interesting effect and the players maybe are going to decide to steal the magic item for themselves or destroy the magic item, dispel it while the necromancer is getting away. Next, we want to talk about damageable environments. So settings to hold your combat encounters where the terrain will change as a result of the combat and ability decisions that your monsters and players are making in the moment. A lot of spells or class features talk about dealing damage to structures. I think this is a good tool. If you don't have memory slots for this as a DM, if keeping track of damage on another thing and keeping track of what's going to happen if your players deal damage to this thing is difficult for you, that's totally okay. But if you're looking to spice up combat and make the terrain more of a feature, I think damaging combat is really good and has more of an effect on the style of play than maybe just changing terrain. Because now your players have active choices. They can choose to target the terrain to do something and make it advantageous. Or the impacts of their actions are going to make them think twice. If they do a spell attack that does a ton of AoE damage and suddenly the terrain changes, maybe on the next turn they're not going to use an AoE spell. They're thinking more critically about what they need to do. So I love this idea a lot. I think there are ways that you can make it really weird. You could have a situation where a wall breaks and suddenly some like acid starts pouring in. Or maybe it starts flooding and now the terrain has totally changed. You're underwater or you're dealing with some pool of acid. And I think when I started talking about this, you came up with like a really cool idea for how to put those things all together. One of my favorite monster stat blocks of all time are black dragons. I love this idea of a monster that has all the iconic fantasy and lore that surrounds it as a dragon, but is this sub-aquatic creature that swims around in these kind of like fetid and rotten uh, swampy lakes. So when Ariel was talking about this, I had this brain blast of a room or a sub-aquatic cavern that has some breathable air in it, and that's where the dragon keeps their hoard, and that's where they sleep. And perhaps there's a way to swim into this room. I don't think it's technically possible for that to occur in the real world, uh, so it is fortunate for all of us that we get to make up whatever magical rules are necessary to facilitate these fantastical environments in Dungeons & Dragons. Black dragons have an acid breath feature, a corrosive acid breath feature. So I love the idea that this cavern is filled with these ceiling to floor stalactite stalagmite columns uh, for players to take cover behind to uh, perhaps stop themselves from being hit with the acid breath. But as the acid breath weapon attack hits these columns, it melts them, and the players need to go and run and scramble to go and take cover behind a different column. And in the event that the dragon misses one of the columns, 
or perhaps air quotes misses one of the columns and blasts the wall of the cavern, it might actually put a hole in the wall such that water starts to pour into the cavern and air starts to escape. Now, all of a sudden, this cavern starts to fill with water. And on a turn-by-turn basis, the advantage of the terrain is very quickly turning in favor of the Black Dragon. I think at a combat that starts on normal ground with this acid and column effect where you're running around and then goes in becomes an underwater combat because of the consequences of the dragon's actions is so dynamic. It feels incredibly special to me. If you're going to have a combat that turns into underwater combat, suddenly the rules themselves change. So you have one round of combat where you have all these abilities available to you, and in the next round of combat, you're starting to save your air to cast verbal spells, maybe. You have things that are really changing how you approach each round of combat. So I think this is all a really amazing encounter design. I'm going to put this into one of my games for sure. I know Ray's going to do it immediately in his earliest convenience. I love Black Dragons. I, I That's the one monster that I could just run over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I think it's a really perfect encounter design and and i think that this idea of using dragons or maybe some other creatures to affect the terrain around them accidentally can happen really easily with fire if you're in a library or if you're in a a dying decaying forest everything is just tinder and suddenly you go from round one to being dry and everybody is dealing normally with their surroundings to round two or three parts of the surroundings are on fire to rounds four and five everything is on fire and suddenly their objective has gone from one thing to defeating the enemy to maybe something else saving the town that's near this burning forest or saving the library from burning down that's such a good example one of my favorite adventures that i've been a player in features a room where you have the opportunity to sneak in and the enemies are kind of They're cobalts, and they're hanging out around a table and just eating food. And inside this room, there's a bunch of flammable black powder, so gunpowder kegs. And the adventure basically kind of like softballs to the player this opportunity to blow up these barrels and murder all of these cobalts in this room in in one fell swoop. I love offering up to players these opportunities to just absolutely steamroll encounters if they take advantage of the environmental things that have been conveniently placed for them to take advantage of. Yeah, and the enemies can do the same thing. You can have terrain that is really benefiting your enemies, and so the very first thing that your players might want to do, objective for round one, might be changing the conditions of the terrain. If your enemies are using fire to the advantage The objective for round one could be to put out all the fires such that you can now fight and with melee attacks. If you have an objective round one that is to destroy the fortifications, kind of like we talked about before, that's the terrain, maybe some slits in a wall or in a castle being used to fire arrows out at your party. That's objective round one, destroy the terrain or get into a different location such that the terrain is no longer an advantage for your enemies. So every time that the advantage could be for your players in the terrain, it could also be advantage for your enemies. And I think that as a DM is really good in counter design. You calling that out, Ariel, made me think of something that actually happened in my game. I was running Forge of Fury, and at the end of Forge of Fury, spoilers, <laughs> the players uh, battle against a black dragon in a subterranean lake. 
I love black dragons. I think they're awesome. The black dragon was swimming in this lake and stealthing and waiting for their acid weapon to recharge and then coming back up and shooting the players with their acid breath. I almost felt bad doing this as the dungeon master because I didn't know how the players were kind of get around this. It almost felt like I was kind of cheesing the party. And then the trickery cleric, without skipping a beat, casts a massive whirlpool spell in the lake and just absolutely immobilizes my black dragon that I was running. And then the players wailed on them for like three rounds in a row because my black dragon could not succeed the save against the whirlpool to escape to save their life. Yeah, that's a perfect example. I love this idea that you didn't know exactly what your players were going to do, but you presented them with a challenge, and in order to defeat this dragon, they had to deal with the underwater aspect first. I think that's really great design, even if you're not exactly sure how they're going to do it. If the players go into the lair, the terrain is different, and then they can come up with an objective to bring the dragon out of their lair. Focusing on these mid-combat changes can really bring those encounters to the next level. Absolutely. So, once again... Just to sum up, if you're a dungeon master and you're not sure whether or not you need to bring some of these elements to your game, pay attention to what your players are doing on a round-by-round -round basis. If a player doesn't move their character, that might be a sign that your encounters could be a little bit more dynamic. This episode involved a lot of different examples, so I hope some of those can be useful for you in your game. But if our particular style and in particular examples weren't exactly what you were looking for, I think this idea of just changing your objectives round by round, being able to list, okay, rounds one and two will have this objective, rounds three and four might have this objective. If you can do that with your encounter design, it's going to be a really successful encounter for you and for your players. Until next time, I'm Ariel Rasco. And I'm Raymond O'Connor. And thanks for listening to Running Off the Rails. If you enjoyed Running Off the Rails, please like, follow, and review our show on your platform of choice. Please follow our Instagram, Running Off the Rails, for notifications whenever we release a blog post, a new episode, or new content on the DMs Guild. If you prefer a specific type of content, please send us a message on Instagram. The jam you are listening to is Hoist by Andy G. Cohen, and you can find Hoist and more of Cohen's music on the Free Music Archive. You can find links to all of our content at runningofftherails.com or on our Facebook page, Running Off the Rails.